0: Well, hello, Uh, this is the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Um, and as you probably know, I'm working my way through the Broke cycle by Neal Stephenson and we are heading into the final two books um, uh, Starting with book seven currency now, this is in, in my view kind of a Kind of an under-the-radar kind of kind of book if you're reading through the broke cycle and You're kind of thinking of these as three books, right? Um, then currency is you know three big volumes uh, you're thinking of currency as kind of the middle, it's like the two towers of the final book, right? And it's just sort of getting you from, from where the setup to the climax, right? And the system of the world is all climax. So really the climax of this series is the whole of book eight. Um, and book seven is just kind of getting you, getting the reader to those climax, putting the characters in the right place, taking a few characters off the board. Um, not that many though. Jax is the only one major player gets taken out. I guess Tories sort of get taken out as a force as well. Um, but it's 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 a book that you may not think about if someone says, "Well, what's your favorite Broke Cycle, you know, book?" You know, you probably say Bonanza or, or or King of the Vagabonds or the Junkdo or something like that or System of the World, the climax of the of the tale. I mean, I think of currency, especially it's got this kind of title that does make sense thematically in the book, uh, because it's it's sort of I mean, if you think of the the three books in the system of the world, you got Solomon's gold, which is the titles referring to alchemy right now, that's not really what that book's fully about, um, but you know it's kind of the old system right then you have currency which is something we've been talking about throughout this whole series a major theme of the text itself is the kind of the creation of the modern world and then finally you have the system of the world the final um, system Um, and i think another thing you see in this book thematically uh, that i'm really picking up on now as i'm coming to the final pages of it in my own read is the beginning of the book you have like the water house story right and you have him he's interacting with kings he's interacting with nobility he's part of even though he's of common background he's inter interacting with the people in the lever lever, lever levers of power right people like roger comstock and of course king uh, charles ii he's interacting with the cabal bankers things like that so he's more upper class in a way, you never really see him having to worry about making money at any point. He always seems to just have what he needs. Um, and then you get King of the Vagabonds, which you have a slave and a, and a vagabond, right? And they go their different paths, of course. They go their different routes. Jack goes one way, Eliza goes another, and Eliza does move her way up. But And that's why I think Eliza's character is, is important, even though she's such a back burner in the system of the world. It, it's It's relevant what she does. But also, Jack, in a way... Uh, What you see here, what I'm trying to get at is you see by the end of the story, the intertwining of these classes, right, that their stories become much more interconnected. They're not so separate anymore and not just for plot device. I mean, it's the system. of The world is one with more liquidity right now. Of course, capitalism will have its own hierarchies and, and and power structures and the aristocrats certainly live on. You know the, the well, part of the climax of the book is the coronation of King George, um, but nevertheless, the the new system in the world is one where those those old class lines, the feudal class lines, don't matter anymore, and people are able to be socially mobile, right? So, currency sort of hints at this in a way. Not just the book, but the title. You know that you know currency is referring both to the you know the rate of change of water in a in a, in, a, in like a river, right? But it also refers to, of course, the money and the flow of money and the velocity of money, right, which is something, of course, you know, it's all been, it's been there since the beginning of the story in a way, but he chooses to use this. I think it's kind of intermediary as we're going from the feudal, the superstitious age to to the age of reason, right, to where we're like stepping on the toes of the age of of the Enlightenment by the time we get to the system of the world. So that, I think, is, is one way to think of currency. It's, it's one of my favorite books. I, I, when I'm done with the series, I'm going to do an episode where I just kind of try to rank these books. I'm not very good at that, but I'll try. Some people are much better at the rankings than I am. I always never quite know. I'm actually trying to make it, do it now, and I keep changing my mind about things. But currency is definitely in the top three or so for me. Um, it might be number three after Bonanza and the, and the Junk Dough. But then the system of the world is so good too you want to put that up there so again i'm bad with the rankings i don't like doing it but i'm going to try it for you uh just as a way of kind of reviewing these texts and then i'm going to kind of go through my favorite characters uh picking like 10 historical figures that are represented here and the ones i like the most and then i'm going to pick 10 fictional characters well 13 because the lies of daniel and jack sort of on the top anyway so that's kind of boring so I'm just gonna I'll do the next ten after those three of my favorite, and I might think of some other things I might want to do um, with the series. I, I got to reread Kryptonomicon before I do like an episode on the connections between Kryptonomicon and this. Maybe want to get back to Taiwan. I'll do exactly that. I, I think it might be a fun idea to to read through that, doing a little series like ten episodes or twelve, however long that book is, and then allows to reflect on the connections between these it's not just characters it's it's themes too um anyways that's i'm gonna get off track here um now what goes on in currency well you know again another reason you might think well what's going on here is like you just had this heist on the tower of london and then suddenly we spend 100 pages in you know in hanover and it's all surrounding sophie's funeral and it allows us to touch base with Eliza and John jacques and Caroline. And it's really set up kind of Caroline's later storyline. Um, Eliza's to a lesser degree, John Jock's. But these are, these are relatively minor characters, right? Um, Daniel Waterhouse is here. But he's just sort of interacting with these people, right? So you spend a whole third of this book doing stuff that seem kind of... Uh, Marginal, and of course, it's a crucial because we're talking about the Hanoverian succession. But unless you're really into Sophie and Caroline and, and these characters, you might say, Well, I I'm, I'm, don't really want to be here, right? But nevertheless, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in, in the first hundred pages of this. Then we get to uh, um, get to back to like the, the mystery, right? Now, there's a couple things going on in the second two thirds of currency. Um, one is this the, basically kind of a mini civil war between the Tories and the Whigs. Now, I don't know historically how much, how violent this was kind of, when you take your history class, you learn this is relatively a peaceful transition of power. But of course there are many Tory mobs. This is an era of mob violence, right? In fact, the epigraph for this whole book is from Sir Charles Petrie quote, there was the usual amount of corruption, intimidation, and rioting, right? Which of course... Is what's going to happen in this book right intimidation corruption and rioting, um, where the tories have their political pieces in play they have their bowling brooks and their charles whites and they have these people in government that are pro-jacobite or at least against the hanoverian succession in one in one way or another um, and they have a lot of power and they have money and they're doing their thing and then you have their mobs right both sides have their mobs that do play a role in the story. And there's a lot of kind of background hinting of, of mob violence taking place uh on the streets of London and things. Now by the time you get to the end of the book, the the Whigs win. The Hanoverian succession is assured. The, the Tories are sort of on the outs. Not entirely. There are still characters that have power, but they're basically defeated. So that's something that's happening here. The other thing is our mystery, right? Is it's not over, right? Well okay, so Jack's won, but where's the picks? Where is the stuff that was in the picks, right? That's the whole point. If those are corrupted, then the trial of the picks itself can't be trusted, right? What does this mean for Isaac Newton? Daniel still has his Kit Kat, no, the Kit Kat Club is the place. It's his little club that he forms to investigate the infernal devices. Who built them? I'll tell you now, it's Saturn, and and who made the phosphorus, Jack, right? Um, Made it, but... There's still that mystery going on and things to wrap up with that story. In fact, it, they're kind of at square one in some ways. So we see um, the ongoing investigation, which culminates in the arrest of 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 uh, Jack Shaft, although they don't know it at the time, right? So Jack Jack has revealed himself. He's like in, dis- in disguise for a big chunk of this book. We're introduced to a new character. Paltrey is his name. Um, and he is Jack Shafton in disguise, right? And he reveals himself while in like Newgate. And he basically makes a deal with Isaac Newton that if you help me get my kids out uh, to Carolina, uh, free and clear, I'll restore the picks, right? So you have that plot line going on and that's still going on. And then you have the whole kind of resolution to the Solomonic cold, what's going to happen to it. And I love what Stevenson does with this. I'm kind of giving away the whole plot of the book in a way, but book seven but that's okay uh i love what neil stevenson does with the solomonic gold here now it's of course coveted by all these al- alchemists all right isaac newton w- wanted it right doesn't get it uh lothar hacklehaper wanted it didn't get it right the jex sort of wanted it didn't get it right um it, uh is it john Jacques the dakashan not john jock what's his uh forget his name but whatever the duke de ocean right he wanted it he didn't get it it's so all because of because of jack shafto right that's one reason that he's so infamous no one gets it and then it's a the end. we know where it is we we know it's on the it's the planks on the minerva that's revealed in solomon's gold and what does daniel waterhouse do with it He basically sells it to the czar um and why because so leibniz can complete his logic mill and and for you, for the cards it's like a punch card logic mill right it's like the early computers it's like something that was invented like in the 30s and 40s you see neil stevenson sort of inventing something very similar in this period and that's certainly a connection with cryptonomicon uh, the computing and and digital knowledge and all this stuff but the the gold the solomonic gold becomes the guts of the first computer and i think that's just a great way place for it to end up alchemy to the modern world right something that was seen as having the special powers just become empowered by steam and technology and science and natural philosophy, whatever you want to say it, it becomes part of the modern world right which is exactly what Daniel eventually says about the system world world does it all uh, overall is that yeah you have revolutions in thought but and, and new ways of living but those just sort of cover up. And, and they cr- replace the facade, but the, the foundation is still the same, right? And that's kind of what we have with this computer, this logic mill that finally gets in- invented. And so you, this, this happens with a really exciting scene with uh, Peter the Great in London, sort of in disguise, with Daniel Waterhouse, and they're, you know, kind of trading this gold. And so Daniel, kind of unilaterally, under the nose of Isaac Newton, takes the small amount of gold off the table. Right, in kind of an anticlimactic way, but I think it's thematically so beautiful and so wonderful that it just ends up in the guts of a computer. All right, let's, that's setting up this book. And it's, it's hard to say exactly why I like it. It's just, I think it. so many things come together really nicely here. Maybe it's the resolution of the Solomon of Gold that really uh, excites me more than anything else. Um, but anyways. Where are we? All right, so Hanover. So this book opens up June 18th, Continental, June 7th, Hanover. Uh, It's June 7th English in Hanover. So we're a month and a half or so after the events of Solomon's Gold and the attack on the Tower of London. And our epigraph for this first chapter is about the death of Sophie Charlotta. Right. Now this is, of course, gonna be the death of, of Sophie. But Sophie Charlotte died at 36. And she, she, she said this about Leibniz and her deathbed. Do not pity me. I'm, the, I'm at last going to satisfy my curiosity about the origin of things, which even Leibniz could not, never explain to me, to understand space, infinity, being, and nothingness. So kind of a reminder of the relationship between the, these, this Winter Queen's lineage and, uh, and Leibniz I suppose um, but also a foreshadowing that we're going to be dealing with the death here and particularly the death of, of, of Sophie who of course never becomes queen she's been trying to um, but never quite made it so the story opens here with uh, with uh, Caroline's t- English tutor um, who is a woman named Henrietta Braithwaite just kind of a governess or whatever and she's telling the story of of Princess Caroline, which, of course, is a story we already know about how she was orphaned and penniless and only had her title. And and in, in our story, of course, she's a real character, but in our story, Eliza plays a role in helping her out, knocking off the elector with smallpox or whatever, but she's an orphan cast out. But she's able to kind of uh, rebuild herself and enter the court of Hanover. She's, of course, the now she's the bride, the wife of, this, of who will be George II, right? So she's in that royal family now. We also have a bit about here about Leibniz as well. So and a, and we see the Hanoverians like preparing for for coming to England, right? Learning English. Now I think King George didn't know English. Maybe George II or he didn't know very well. George II, may have. Um, I forget. Certainly George III would did, but. Um, but anyways we're introduced to this relatively important character Henrietta Braithwaite right now what we're going to learn about Henrietta Braithwaite is like her husband is hanging out too and he's a basically a Jacobite spy and that gets revealed by the end of this little kind of story within the story it's just like I said it's 100 pages it's all set in handover, and all revolves around Sophie's Sophie's death, but we're he's Neil Stevens has spent some time reacquainting us with these people and the relationships and things like that, and also time has passed. So um, Caroline is is basically married to this, um, you know, the the prince, I sub- I guess, um, and her lover is Jean Jacques, her boyfriend at the same time, and and of course the king or the prince has all his girlfriends too. It's just these people don't marry for love, right? It's not a big thing. Um, but uh, a lot of background here about like you know Leibniz's house. Um, now Leibniz at this time is in Russia. He's stuck in Russia, and this was something hinted at back in Solomon's gold, where we get the story of of Leibniz in Russia through a letter written to to um, to, uh, to Waterhouse, sorry up in my mind, Waterhouse. But pages and pages of descriptions of like houses and the gardens, wonderful like time travel, uh, walking tour. I love these. Lovecraft did these all the time. Um, but these time traveling, walking tours through the gardens. Um, in fact, Stevenson usually term- says specifically that these were kind of voyages through time. But yeah, endless descriptions of the gardens. that go on for pages, gondolas, more gardens, rom- and, and kind of you get a hint of, you know how I said just a few minutes ago how this book sort of, this series takes us to the stepping on the foot of the Enlightenment? You see the hinting that, like, the, even the romantic attitude towards gardens, right? The reaction to Versailles is beginning, too, um, you know, which I guess is something we think of more of that early 19th century. But, you know, maybe it's, you know, Stevenson doesn't care about the chron- chron- chronology that much. He loves doing the anachronisms so... Let's, let's, let's hint that the romantic era is coming in terms of art and aesthetics and things like that. And you see that with the, with the garden. I think at one point it's either Sophia or Caroline says something akin to. It's like, well, we can't, you know, have everything be triangles or something like that. A garden, you know, here, here it is. Uh, who is this? Um. I think this is it's Harold Braithwaite who actually says this, who's a spy. Uh, if it pleases your own head, a gardener might be instructed to pinch off a dead blossom to give the garden a more pleasing aspect. Um, and then Sophie replies, my English is not good enough for me to understand your French, but I collect that you are setting in front of me some advice on how I should manage my garden. Please know that I love my garden as it is, not only the living, but the dying parts of it. It is not meant to be a phantasm of eternal and perfect life. Such a garden did exist once, or so the Bible instructs us, but it was brought to an ill end by a snake who fell out of a tree. Quote. So that's kind of a romantic attitude towards gardening. I sort of let it go. You let it, um, you know, you let the things just die. If a tree falls over, you just let it, go. let it go. Let nature take its course. Don't overly prune and overly perfect your garden. Um, so... Sophie this is going to be the last uh really I think this is the last chapter we get with Sophie. So she kind of gives some advice to Caroline on how to rule too. And basically not so much specifically how to rule but how their family has struggled so much, right? So the genealogy of the Winter Queen, I think they're they're connected somehow to the to the Tudors even. They go back that far. Was it a daughter of James first James the fourth of Scotland or whatever that went to Europe and had all these kids that became different heads of states connected through marriage to different families all that kind of stuff Um, and so there's a burden on Caroline to kind of carry on this family legacy right and so that's a that's a good reminder just so close to to Sophie's death all right then we get uh, this Suddenly Daniel appears, and of course, if you're reading this, you might be surprised. Why is Daniel showing up, right? Um, But he's here. Um, Why is he here? Well, he doesn't know Sophie's going to die, so he's not here for the funeral. He's here. Remember his mission, way back in book one, the letter sent to him by Caroline was about restoring this gap between Leibniz and Newton and and putting right the House of Philosophy. Now, more is going to be said about this about Caroline's ambition here about how that if we're going to create a new system of the world it has to be on the right still philosophical foundations and that means and we can't have a divided house on philosophy we may have a divided house in natural philosophy um, you know on science we may have disagreements on mathematics or whatever but on pure philosophy we need to have a solid foundation and that's what her ambition to have him here is and I guess he felt time to do that right and so he's going to meet up with Eliza again he's going to meet up with uh, he's hoping to meet Leibniz, but Leibniz is stuck in in St. Petersburg. But kind of almost like a ghost suddenly Daniel shows up and is talking in the garden to Caroline And what do they end up talking about? They talk about money and they talk about currency right So Daniel says he has a debt to um, Caroline. He says, "Nay, not a monetary debt. I refer again to when you surprised me in Boston with a queer and unlooked-for conversation, which led presently to sea voyage and adventure. It pleases me to be having the conversation." Caroline said, "And to be sure, I should like nothing better than to be repaid with a sea voyage and adventure. But such things are for picaroon romances, not for princesses. You shall soon have a voyage. You should have a voyage soon enough, though it will be nothing more than a channel crossing. Once you set foot in England soil, at Greenwich, an adventure, of the sort I dare say, will be inevitable." Um, and then he says, like, um, why I'm here bears on guineas. Now where is this section on on currency? It's here somewhere. Um, but so he's partially there for Caroline. He's also partially there to just to see Eliza, and meet with her, and to talk about funding for, for um, kind of a new kind of commodity that's going to be crucial to the modern world. And that's none other than power, right? Some world historians have said we should really be talking about the industrial age, not in terms of industry, because it's in industrial techniques and division of labor. That stuff existed before. Even machines existed before. The things we think of industrial, key to industrialization, division of labor and machinery, have been around for a long time in various forms. What's new is, of course, power. Right. And I, I don't mean here by like class power, which also exists, but, you know, actual you know, fossil fuel power, right? That the energy, the source of energy in the system. Right. And Daniel is here sort of on this mission too, to get get Eliza's money to help fund the the. You know, investment in Newcomen's inventions, which is going to be revolutionary in creating power. Right. It's not just about that's why that's the beginning of the industrial age. It's because uh, it's, it's putting a new type of power in the system. I think, I, I don't want to speak for Neil Stevenson, but I, but I think that's thematically um, where we're at here. Um, and Daniel also kind of see, he supports the Caroline, the, or the Hanoverian secession, because he sees that somehow as bringing enlightenment to, 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 uh, england and this is sort of how caroline talks about it too she says i cannot imagine a house divided between the partisans of leibniz on one hand and of newton on the other as german and british dominions are united under one crown so german and british philosophy must be brought together under grand unification right and it's kind of she's kind of hinting that this is going to be a a new philosophy which i think can only refer to the enlightenment right the the application of science scientific thinking to to all things to societies to human you know psychology whatever what have you the social sciences um oh here's the session on currency on, on money um so who is it is it sophie yeah i think it's Sophie and caroline are talking i think and sophie said something like "The one of the one of the english is using this funny word currency and they know about it in terms of physics but uh, quote, this is what I suppose this Englishman kept discoursing currency as a way that was most fraught with meaning and I thought he was speaking of some river drainage. Finally, I collected that he was using it as a synonym for money. In court. Now, it's a synonym they're not the same thing, right? Money is just money. Currency is the flows of money, the velocity of money, the, the movement of money around, you know, the world or, or between people, right? You know, money on its own is nothing without, you know, its flow, its, it's, it's current. I'm not going to get into like modern monetary theory here, but there's probably a case to be made for it, you know, kind of under the surface of of what he's talking about here. But the thing is, this is a big gap between the Germans and 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 the English in how they see money, right? So it's like the English have already kind of entered the modern world in terms of commerce and attitudes towards money. Germany, not quite there, right? So... Well, of course, they're the commercial empire of the time. The Dutch, I guess, got there even even sooner. Then they talk a little bit about uh, the trial of the picks and Jack's heist. News of that has gotten to the Hanoverians. It's something That's something they're going to have to deal with and work out at some point. But it's just sort of mentioned. And that's when Sophie has her stroke. And, um, and this section ends, this chapter ends with Caroline declaring herself Princess of Wales, which she isn't officially yet. essentially she is because the hanoverians are going to be the next um they're gonna cross the strait and take up take up residence in london now one thing i've been thinking as i as i read this is you know how before great britain was formed the king of england and the king of scotland the same person right well at least since james the first but you know scotland had its own parliament before great britain before they unified them right if, correct me if I'm wrong, someone write in and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they had their own parliaments and their own kind of governments, institutions, right? So, you, you know, he would spend most of his time in London, of course, but, you know, he might have, we'll find to time to do with stuff in, in Scotland. Right? I guess the, the monarchs still have all this land and stuff in Scotland and palaces or whatever. But when they unified it, they just, the Scots sent their representatives to Parliament in London, right? But these Hanoverians, I mean, how long did... Was George the first like also king of Hanover and did he ever go back to Germany and deal with Hanover stuff? So I just looked this up. It doesn't answer the question of whether They had to go back to Germany and deal with stuff <laughs> um, Or was it just ruled by by regents locally, but of course uh, between the French Revolution and the Congress of Vienna wherever Napoleon invaded in 1807 it was the Monarchy was abolished, but it was restored at the Congress of Vienna. So George the third of England became uh, uh, also the king of Hanover now the personal union ended in 1837 with the ascension of Queen Victoria because secession laws prevented a female from inheriting the throne so they had different laws so that's what happened there but you know whatever it is what it is but that's uh if anyone knows the details of how the kings of Hanover ruled while they were also hanging out in London all the time let me know all right oh we're going to westminster palace for a really boring chapter next i love currency i love this book but i i kind of check out a little bit with uh, some of the parliament stuff but we get a little scene in parliament it's kind of the aftermath of the picks crisis um and so it's like roger's there isaac newton's there of course uh, waterhouse isn't anymore um you know Charles White, the Tories, Bolingbroke. I guess this is kind. Of, this chapter is sort of our introduction to Bolingbroke and the Tories and their their position in government. That they're still really strong in the government, and they might be able to throw a wrench in the Hanoverian succession in some way. And how could they do this? Well, the picks, the trial of the picks, is going to be a way to discredit the the money supply created by the the cabal, right? The Comstock, Apthorpe, they created the modern monetary system, right? Put Isaac Newton in the head of the mint. If so you can discredit that, you might be able to discredit the whole project, right? So all this stuff with Jack and the picks—and it's all about the politics of trying to blemish the, you know, blemish the Whigs before their their moment of triumph or whatever, right? Um, but they talk about other stuff here, and one thing is Roger Comstock. Remember, he wanted that longitude prize. That storyline never really goes anywhere doesn't have to i think the longitude is not figured out for a while anyways but he he kind of talks to parliament about the longitude prize that he wants uh, and this is all about practical science right and, and actually newton t- speaks on the longitude for a while and very in term very practical terms about what it would require what are the different ways of figuring out the longitude what would that require on ships what knowledge which captains need to compute it why, you know, you you know why it was so difficult, right? It's like it took a very long time to figure out. Um, I mean, you can figure out latitude just by looking at the sun essentially, but longitude is really tough and you needed huge books and ships couldn't really have the space for that or the know-how necessarily to compute it. Um, and if you could do it mathematically, it would take essentially computers. And that's Daniel Waterhouse's idea eventually. Is, Let's just put a logic mill in every ship and they'll just compute the longitude for us. Which is it happens eventually, I guess. Uh modern ships have computers. Um, um anyways we're still griping about the calculus dispute. Um but really the real drama here is has the Whigs or sorry, it's the Tories, Bolingbrook and christopher white who becomes a more important character in, this, in the later parts of this book as a villain sort of we kind of run out of villains towards the end and we're left with charles white is a pretty pathetic villain by the end of the story you know but that's that's okay i think all our villains have pretty good ends we, you know uh the Dark both of them um you know at the end Dark starts out you think he's kind of an okay guy but eliza even kind of sees him that way and he turns out to be a really cruel rapist right um pretty vicious uh, abusive husband Uh, but his father is in some ways even more villainous like a slave trader Uh, Earl of Upnor a lot of these villains they they treat women poorly Um, the Jex he's still around but you know this story doesn't really need these villains I guess to work but they really do add flavor to the story Um, but Charles White isn't on par with these earlier villains I'm trying to say um, neither is Bolingbroke. They're not going to be on my list of favorite characters, but they put forth this idea that they need to have the trial of the picks, right? An inspection of the picks, and I don't know if this was true. Uh, again, I could probably look it up, but I'm not going on this case. You know, if the trial of the picks failed, and 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 somehow. It was proven that the head of the mint failed; that he'd be like castrated or something. And Isaac Newton kind of blanches when he figures things out. He's in real physical danger now. It's not just his position he could lose. He could lose, uh, you know, the trial of the picks, which might seriously, uh, uh, you know, cause him to have to suffer an amputation or, or two. Um, it's a really serious thing um, because it's the foundation of the whole British system which is built on commerce right something that caroline and sophie still can't quite figure out at this point in the story is like why is england so poor and chaotic and and weird and in and, and, you know all the civil war and revolutions going on and it doesn't seem to be that rich it has all this poverty all this inequality in in london and all this stuff but it still is so powerful right well it comes from they're the center of commerce right and that's based on the money so you know maybe neil stevenson is making too much of this but in terms of thematically in the story it's important but anyways when this is offered up that we're going to have a trial of the picks and this is something the tories can demand because they're in the government still um queen anne's still around the people she appoints stick around and even after queen anne dies and there's a, a regency it's you know they're there's charles white still in government right it's not you can't get rid of people that easily it's not like in more authoritarian or i guess uh absolutist kind of monarchies but anyways they push for this newton figures out he's in big trouble because he knows the pics has probably been tampered with by jack shafto so now he's like his life and limb is at stake not just his reputation and he passes out um in front of the parliament kind of a nice little gang we 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 see in this book this volume Isaac Newton being less of a kind of a supernatural force um just a a person of supreme brilliance to someone who's really really flawed he's cruel he's arrogant he I guess he was always arrogant but that arrogance you know hurts him in this book right he 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 underestimates Jack Shafto uh he is scared all the time especially in the in the second half of this book he seems to be always scared and trying to make deals with people desperate to avoid a trial of the picks or desperate to get Sha- jack shafto's help to save it and then when jack shafto does agree to help him then he betrays him essentially and and you know urged on his execution um so he's very vindictive very flawed and also frail and fragile of course he's an old man but he you know he, there's a scene where like Leibniz actually has to pick him up and you know from falling and le- this is later on the story i think it's in the system of the world cuz yeah Leibniz doesn't show up till the last volume yeah but it starts here isaac passing on i think it started in the last book too with isaac newton just being kind of a dunce throughout the the heist on the tower of london all right now we flip back to hanover and i think do we have two chapters yeah, I think we have two chapters here. I'll just look at these together. Um, we start with Johan and Eliza who have become lovers. Um, and Eliza's there. Uh, sorry, Johan and Caroline. Sorry, Johan and Caroline are the lovers. Uh, Johan and Eliza, uh, father and uh, mother and son. Oops. Anyways, that's what I meant to say. Caroline and Johan are having like their little date. And Johan's also trying to teaching her some English. She's getting ready for that helping with their pronunciation um and they seem to be deeply in love and neither spouse caroline or her husband seems to care much about the other's infidelities again these are aristocratic marriages that aren't really built on love um and all these people had mistresses right and things and caroline good minor woman she doesn't just sit idly by while her husband has affairs. she goes and seeks out her own lover which is which is great. It's it's uh, you can tell that uh, Neil Stevenson is kind of enamored with so uh, da, 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 Caroline, maybe rightfully so. I haven't studied her much. Her Wikipedia entry is really, really slight. Let's see, Queen Caroline. Here I found it. Caroline of Onsbach. Um, yeah, nothing here about natural philosophy so much. She's done in a lot of art about her, a lot of pictures of her, a lot of pay- portraits, of course, of her, her legacy. Protestants lauded her as a moral example, and even the Jacobites acknowledge her compassion and her intervention on the side of mercy for her compatriots. Um, one of the most influential consorts in British history. Um, a bunch of books about her too. Anyways, I guess Carolina's named after her. No, that can't be right. It was found a lot earlier. Must have been that must have been named after Charles. It's just a feminine version of Charles. But I guess that's kind of cool because the Chafto kids end up in Carolina. Um. Anyways, I'm just speculating here. I'm just. Let's let's stick to the text here. So what all happens here? This is all um, Here, let me let me just I actually didn't take good notes on this section. Um, I Mean the highlight of this is this uh, Well, there's speculation about kind of if there's spies and things like that in in the in the court and it turns out they are and what they find out eventually is that that braithwaite's husband is a jacobite spy and you know is henrietta complicit in it or not it's not it's not clear and then after or during i guess it's during or, or immediately after sophie's funeral which we do get to see here um on on screen daniel waterhouse is walking with them and all that but um once the funeral's over, everyone kind of goes their own way, but there's like this assassination attempt. Um, and, and it fails. Um, but Daniel Waterhouse is able to figure out that it's like, they tried to use uh, nicotine as the device, which is something he saw before it was used like back in the world society. So he's able to figure out it was used to like kill dogs or kill subjects. It's, it's a poison, right? And it's pure form. Um, so that was the the device and that requires some certain knowledge to to do that but then the question is like who is the suspect who is the assassin um and and eventually uh johan john jock eliza's son challenges dejects to a duel and this duel is kind of forestalled it's it's stopped by by um braithwaite so you kind of see him on the side of the Of The Jacobites so that plot takes place and then the other one. I think what I really want to focus on here Is not that plot so much because it's it's just another more political drama connected to the Hanoverian secession and and kind of Eliza has enemies and all that stuff which we already sort of know Is the really interesting conversation between Daniel Waterhouse and Eliza because they finally meet up again after all these years and You know, I think they slept together. I mean I it's it's it happens between chapters at some point way back in Odalisk. but she eliza's really in his head for a while and he can't and and i think it's stated explicitly at some point in the story this is so long right i don't remember exactly where it is but that they they did she did start to seduce him at one point unless they're using the word seduced in a more generic way but i i took it literally because that's where my head is all the time But Anyways you know they finally meet again And Eliza's still hot and Eliza uh, And and Daniel's all old and Decrepit and falling apart On his last adventure It's it's nice I mean I really like the Daniel story In this book this whole volume actually It's if you didn't like Daniel in the first Books you know he Really comes off strong here and he usually goes on Little adventures and does a jailbreak and, and Things like that We'll see that later in a few episodes Um anyways um what do they talk about here's the thing is eliza's still very rich she's good with commodities and daniel says like i want you to invest in this new commodity and this new commodity is going to be power and she's like well how to do this and she basically he basically tells her about this device for um raising water with fire whatever the steam engine basically the steam engine and he says This is the future. And he even imagines, it's a wonderful imagination here. Uh, He even imagines like all ships computing the longitude with logic mills in their ship powered by steam engines, right? So, you know, we already saw with Jack and the gold plates, kind of the beginning of the ironclad ships in a way. Well, being in the steam engine, like steam engines on ships, like it's, it's clearly an anachronism, but it's a wonderful one because how much of our modern world is dependent on the steam engine, right? Where would we be without that invention, without that idea of putting the steam engine on the ship? Not to power necessarily a logic mill, but to power the ship itself. And so Daniel's absolutely right. This is going to be the future. And if you invest in it, that's going to be really helpful, right? So he's trying to get money to for her to invest in the logic mill, really, is what, but she says, like, if you also invest in, the steam engine this new coming device you're going to be to be really wealthy because this is the future right and he gives her other things too like we're going to be taking all these people to make the cards or something and they're going to be like we're going to just take them from the girls who are working producing hemp so hemp prices are going to go up because there's going to be less workers for it so maybe you will make some extra money through the hemp by kind of buying hemp and selling it dear so he gives her kind of insider trading advice all to kind of seduce her to the investment into the logic mill. So, you know, this is kind of another mission he's kind of on is to figure out the, finish the logic mill thing, right? And it's gonna end up going to Russia. Um, the most backward part of Europe ends up the home of this modern device with all the of gold in it. It's, it's, it's really quite nice. Uh, nicely done here. Nicely done, Neil Stevenson. I, my fondness for currency really is uh, increasing. Oh, well, I guess I, that's good enough for now. I'm, um, I highlight what I think is important in this book. I, I kind of skimmed over some of the, the drama, and the assassination, and the dueling and stuff like that, but, you know, whatever. You can read it if you want, uh, or tell me more about it, why I should have said more about it in an email. You can write me at hundredpagescast at gmail.com. Uh, in the next episode, I'll look at uh, the next hundred pages or so of currency. I guess it'll be pages four hundred. So five oh eight or five oh nine. Um. So this is going to cover more the um the the drama with uh, the the infernal devices and the club and all that. Oh, here, Liza and Daniel. I think all this stuff I was just talking about with uh, the cards and the investment that actually happens in the next book, po- <laughs> next section. I skipped ahead. I, I, I guess they just touch base at the funeral and and they, they talk at more length back in London later. But oh, and I forgot one more thing is at the end of this chapter, they, they decide to all go to England, not just Daniel and Eliza, but Johan's going to go and Caroline's going to go and Caroline's going to be posing as as like Daniel's doctor because he's going to be a frail old man and he starts faking that he's an idiot and Alzheimer's and whatever. And Caroline's going to be like his nursemaid, but that's how they're going to kind of smuggle themselves to England Uh, Because Caroline, why does she want to do this? Well, Caroline wants to uh, Well, there's assassins in Hanover, that doesn't help, but uh, Caroline wants to be there uh, for the Leibniz-Newton Duel, like the conversation So, forgot to mention that, that's kind of important in the story but anyways, now I'm really done. Uh, so once again, you can email me at 100pagescast at gmail.com. we got five, well, six more episodes with this special episode we're doing. Uh, so six more episodes on the Baroque cycle. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun. I hope you have been having fun too with this series. If you read it, let me know what you, what you think of this. Uh, let me know what you think your favorite books are. If you give me a ranking, I'd love to look at them because I really struggle with these rankings. I thought about doing one of those tier list ranking videos for, like, Stephen King books, and I I just gave up because I can't tell what's better. I, I, I just don't think that way. I, I don't rank stuff. I don't like giving stuff... Is this a three-and-a-half star or four-star? I can't do that. I can say what I like, what I don't like about something. And as you know, if you've been listening to my podcast, I'm pretty generous. It's, it's a pretty rare book I don't like. So maybe I'm just uh, promiscuous or something. But... Uh, Anyways, enough about that. Uh, so, good news! I got finally get my visa, so I can finally go to Taiwan. Uh, you'll you'll I'll already be there when you're listening to this. So um, that also has put me in good mood. Not only this great book, but the fact that in in less than two weeks I'll be back in Taiwan, back home. Uh, I got a quarantine, but that's okay. Um, pretty soon I'll be back um, where I should be, I guess. Surrounded by my books and people I care about. And then I got to start looking for a job again. But we won't think about that now. So talk to you soon. In a couple days, I'll I'll continue my thoughts about Currency, Book 7 of the Broke Cycle. Thanks for listening.